everyone. This is Jake Milwee. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you would ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. You know, there's a lot of verses in the Bible, a lot of places in the Bible where we have to bring a lot of thought into it. We have to interpret things. What I like about this today is James asks a question that is as pertinent today as it was 2,000 years ago. Where do your disputes come from? Now, I don't know about you, but the world is full of disputes. Wherever you turn, you can't stop without seeing a dispute of some kind. Right versus wrong, left versus right, conservative, liberal, gay, straight, the U.S., the rest of the world, southerners, northerners. We divide the world into these dichotomies, and we set ourselves against them. And so this idea, this question that James asks, where do your disputes come from, is a powerful question. We spend a lot of time in society and culture arguing about exactly that. Where do our disputes come from? And what James tells us is something very simple. It comes from what we crave. Now, that word is not a good Greek translation to that word. You'll see crave some places. You'll see passion in ESV. Basically, though, that word in Greek is the thing which occupies your soul, the thing which occupies your heart. We get the word hedonism from this word, hedonia. And so, another good word for that is pleasure. Where do disputes come from? It comes from clinging to the pleasures of your mind. Now, pleasures can be good things or bad things. Cravings can be positive or negative in our eyes, in society's eyes. For example, today I'm, I'm up before you. I have a desire in my mind, a craving in my mind, to stand up before you as a newly minted senior pastor someplace and have his stuff together. Right? I want to get up here and I want to have no issues going on. I want to have not forgotten to put my mic on before I got up here. I want to be clear-minded. I want to connect with you all. And I want to be very polished because though I try to have a heart for Christ, my own desires and pleasures in my mind get in the way. We in the church here want to put on a really spectacular service for you, but sometimes things happen and we have hiccups. We desire one thing, but the world actually has something else in store for us. And it's in that tension between the cravings of our minds and what actually happens that the Holy Spirit works. You see, if I'm up here and I want to be smooth and polished and this newly minted senior pastor and look really cool in front of you guys, but things aren't going right, well, if I build myself worth on that, I'm devastated. But more importantly than Johnny's fragile ego is the word of God doesn't come through. If we're more concerned about the show we put on on stage than we are about whether Jesus Christ shows up to worship, then we are going to have problems. We're going to have a disconnect. But by God's grace, I'm in a church this morning that's very loving. You guys show me immense amount of love asking me to come here time and time again to speak in front of you. And I'm humbled by that. You showed me a lot of love when my dad passed away and I was up here preaching a few days later after we buried him. So, by God's grace, church happens regardless. 
Jesus shows up. Because what we want may be superficial, it may be my ego, maybe we want to put on a good show for you, but what's at the heart of why we get together, this group of people, this people of God, is we're here to worship. <clears throat> worship happens. Jesus Christ shows up and works in and among our frailties and our failings. And I thank God for that. When we hold on to things in our heart that aren't of God's, James tells us that we are being friends with the world. It's another Greek word that doesn't quite translate well. Friendship, you know, nowadays we, you know, on social media, so we have Facebook friends, and we have IRL friends, and we have friends who live across the street, we have friends when we go to the office, but this friendship is a form of love in Greek. So he's not talking about being friends with the world, because you can definitely take some of what James said today in those first ten verses, and if you just say something out of context, it can sound awfully harsh particularly to people who aren't here in the church. You can't be friends with the world would sound harsh to people in the world. But that's not what James is saying. We are supposed to be friends with everyone. But what James is saying isn't friendship. It isn't a casual acquaintance. It isn't even wanting the best for them as neighbors. It's a love of the world that displaces God. James says that we are double-minded if we want the things that we want and we want the things of God. We can't do both things. Jesus Christ tells us this. We can't serve the world and God at the same time. We just can't do it. We'll either make one happy and upset the other one. We'll either fulfill wishes and desires of the one and not the other. We have to, as much as possible, make God's things, the things of God, be the thing in our minds. When we do that, Disputes won't happen. Conflict won't happen. Now, it doesn't mean that we're in a peaceful world as far as we'll all become automatons, like this meeting you guys have on the 30th. If you have God in mind, it doesn't mean that you won't disagree about something. In fact, it's okay to disagree about things. The beauty of God's creation is that he didn't make us all automatons. He didn't make us robots. Okay, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you have to do these 14 things, and you have to act in exactly this way, and you have to come from the same background. Jesus doesn't want that in his body. We know that because look at the disciples he called. There were different kinds of people there, and they had differences of opinion. But it wasn't the differences of opinion that get in the way of peace and cause the dispute. It's when I decide that I know what's right and what's righteous in the world. I know it all. And I understand this Bible 110%, and you have to understand the Bible just like I do. Righteousness is not about making other people do the right thing. Righteousness is about us doing the right thing. Us doing what God calls us to do. It's interesting that in the world today, there are people who constantly want to tell you that they understand what Jesus wants of you, what Jesus wants of culture, what Jesus wants of this country. They tell you that you have to believe the way they do, worship the way they do, you have to dress the way they do. You can't do certain things, you have to do other things. And if you just do all these things, we're all going to be okay. Here's the problem with that. They have an idea of religion in their mind. 
as opposed to a love of Christ sometimes. They have an idea of what religion should be. Righteousness looks like this, and they will dispute with you. If they don't agree with your version of righteousness, that's where disputes happen. You see, that dispute, that craving, isn't just for something like greed. I want more money. I want to treat my workers poorly. We can all understand how that causes dispute. But sometimes the thing that we hold near and dear in our hearts, the thing that we crave, our pleasure, can be something that's ostensibly good. I want us to be righteous. These people who say crazy things like hurricanes happen because God's punishing a city or certain diseases happen because God's punishing us, that is, and I don't mean to make light of these people, and they're still Christian brothers and sisters, but that is, a lot of times, more of a craving in their hearts that everyone understand God the way that they do. And when that happens, there's going to be dispute. I do not have the corner on God. You do not have the corner on God. There is nobody in this room that perfectly understands the will of God for someone else. I don't understand perfectly the will of God in my own life. I don't have time to tell you what the will of God is for you. We're talking about in the Bible how we are supposed to love righteousness and do mercy. We're supposed to love righteousness in our own lives. Righteousness is about how you interact with the world, how you have a relationship with God, your neighbors, and your enemies. Now, when you've got all those things down perfect, then I guess for extra credit you can start telling other people what to do. But honestly, you're never going to get there. I'm never going to get there. Most of you all will get there before I do. It's not a merit system. You can't serve God and the world. You can't serve a gracious God who pours out his grace on you. And the world, which works on a meritocracy, the world wants you to be good enough. The world wants you to be thin enough. The world wants you to be open-minded enough. The world wants you to be right enough. The world is concerned with things that are right and wrong and arguments. God is concerned with grace. And if God showed you that kind of grace, you have people in your life, if you at all possibly can. The second... We are supposed to be doers of the law. It's that simple. James is telling us that no matter what you want to covet in your mind, you need to reorder your mind. If it's not on God's things, if it's not on God's desires, if it's not on love, you have to reorder your mind so it is. And we are not to take that disorder in our minds and try to shut it off on somebody else. We are not to say we want society and culture to run this way. Because as he talks about, you can be friends with God or friends with the world, but there's a desire there, at least there's a 
danger there sometimes of saying, oh, well, we are one people and the world is someone else. We here in this church are chosen, better, in. And those out there are not chosen. They're outside. They're other people. But the problem is, we're here for 50 minutes a week. If you're really good at Bible study, maybe you spend a half hour of Bible study a day, and you say graces before meals and all that, but we operate out there in the world. If we carry that attitude of privilege, we carry that attitude of entitlement from here out into the world, and we deal with people all the time, and we say, oh, you know, I went to this meeting, and this guy was completely messed up, and he had all the wrong ideas, and he's so evil, but it's okay because I'm chosen. There's no love there. You're letting the thing in your mind get in the way of love and being Christ in the world. We're quite simply called to be Jesus Christ in this world. We're his body. I was in a meeting of pastors and last week, and these pastors are of a, of a probably a little more of a conservative bent when it comes to the Bible, and all they talked about was what was wrong in our community. Why people acted the way they did. How come people wanted handouts from this organization that I was, I was attending <laughs> to? You know, they pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. It's a good Texas thing, right? Pull it by your own bootstraps. Why do you need handouts for? You know, if you just live the way you're supposed to live, then you'd be blessed and you wouldn't need us to give you anything. That is the world and not God. Because, let me tell you, sisters and brothers, by the grace of God, none of us in this room are getting what we deserve from God. None of us are getting what we deserve. What we deserve is so much less than what he's given us. He gives us grace. If there's anything I can exhort for you to do from this particular verse and chapter, it's not to lock in on the Ask God in the right way and he'll give you something motif that a lot of people lock onto in these verses. Because what they're doing is they're taking that part of it and they're taking it apart and separate from the idea that we don't in our hearts hold true to what is God when we dispute with other people. See, I've heard this thing preached time and time again. They'll gloss over those first few verses and they'll say, well, you're not getting from God because you're not asking right. That's not the God we worship, Christian sisters and brothers. God gives us the things of God. When we desire the things of God and we ask for them, he will absolutely give them for us. Because he's a gracious God. If we want, on the other hand, for everyone to think the way we do politically, ideologically, or even how we think in our particular church versus other church churches, we are not coveting the things of God heart. We're building up our own kingdoms. And there's only one kingdom that we can serve at a time. It's going to be ours. It's going to be Jesus Christ's. Jesus Christ, our King, does not want us to impose our will on others. He wants us to be a light and show grace and mercy to others. And so, we should be the doers of the law and not judges of it. 
that last part where he talks about you should lament and mourn and grieve people too, and I can come up here and I can like thump on you guys. Oh, you guys are all horrible sinners. You should grieve and lament and rip your clothes and, and come to God and ask for mercy. You should absolutely do those things. But that's not what this verse is about. Again, when you do that, you ignore the first parts of it. There's, he's saying that if in your heart you're holding things that aren't of God, if you're proud about the car that you drive, if you're proud about the house you own or the job that you have, that is pride in the world. And if that's what you have, you should absolutely humble yourself before God. You should constantly crucify that on the cross. And you should have it so that you are mournful and remorseful of that. Not because you're bad people, but because that's not of God and God wants good things for you. And so he wants you to covet his things and not the things of the world. But we absolutely, absolutely should not lose the good news of the Bible. If you're in a church or if you're listening to someone on the radio or if you're reading a book and the heart of it isn't the good news of Jesus Christ, that he loves you, that he is gracious and poured out his grace on every single one of us, maybe listen to something else. Maybe read something else. It's not to say that we're okay, that we can't improve and grow in love of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is we don't start from a position where we're not enough and we have to earn God's love. We start from a position that God loves you absolutely just as you are right now. And he wants you to grow in love. You don't earn God's love. When you're doing that, when you're using the law as something that you can beat up other people on or that you beat up yourself, you're no longer doing the law. You're judging it. And you're not the judge. You didn't make it. You don't get it. At the very end of this, I love this, the end of the chapter, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go and do such and such in such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live here and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is ignorance and evil. Anyone, then, who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. I started off today saying that this letter wasn't divided into chapters, wasn't divided into different paragraphs the way we do it now. This is all one continuous whole. The whole thing today we talk about is we know, Christian sisters and brothers, what sin is. And if we don't do what God's will is, if we do what we know to be sin, then we commit sin. The law of God is in our hearts. Do justice is ourselves. Justice is an internal inside job. We need to be, be righteous and just with the people we deal with. We need to be righteous and just with ourselves and our families and our co-workers. But we need to do it from the fact, from the point of view of what am I doing that is just and that is right. Not what do I have to make them do in order for justice to be around me. We are not a timid people. Love is not a timid thing. There are Christians out there who would tell you 
that if you don't believe what they do, if you don't act the way they do, then something's wrong with you. Because deep down, they're afraid. They're afraid that if they come up against something else that challenges what they think their idea of God is, and God forbid it be something that's also righteous and holy, that it somehow devalues them. And that fear is loud. Fear is always loud. Love is always this nice, quiet, almost in the background operation. But fear, fear looks like hate. Fear looks like screaming and yelling. Scream looks like demanding your way, the thing you covet in your heart. Love is quiet, it's patient, it's gentle. We should be concerned about our own righteousness and not other people's righteousness. We should show mercy and grace to everyone else, and you should show it to yourself. When things go wrong in the morning and your streaming isn't working quite right and you forgot your mic and you're not feeling the best, you should be gracious to yourself. Do you not always hold God's things in your heart? You should absolutely be remorseful of that, but you shouldn't beat yourself up about it. Because God loves you that way too. God loves it when you turn back to him. God loves it when we think on the right things that he's put in our hearts. Whether or not we do it from start to finish, or whether or not we come late in the game. God loves you. You know what's right and wrong. Jesus Christ has put in every single one of us the Holy Spirit who judges and is a co-counsel with us and a partner with us. We know what is sin and what isn't. And we need to be concerned with that in our own lives and not in the lives of others. It doesn't mean we need to ignore righteousness. It doesn't mean we don't need to say we don't agree with something. But we should always do it in love. These rancorous and bitter disputes we have in our culture come from dividing people and making taking sides. We should absolutely be strong in our convictions. We should never be so strong in them that we want everyone to believe and feel like we do. When we do that, we covet something in our minds that is our own kingdom and not the kingdom of God. We need to strive for friendship, for love, for fidelity to Jesus Christ and not to the world. And if something happens in our life and we can't see the disconnect between why the world is this way when we love Jesus, we need to be gracious about what's happening out in the world. Love is patient. Love is gentle. Love is kind. I'm kind of sad that we're coming to an end. This is my second and my last sermon here because I really do love being with you guys so much. As you guys start deliberating about what you're going to be doing in the future in this meeting and the vision, um, I've got no stake in this because I just come to guest preach every once in a while, but I would encourage you and exhort you to think on the things of God in your heart and to really cherish this community you guys have because I've preached all over, all over Houston the last couple of years and you guys having a beautiful community here. Christ is, is here in this place. I feel it every time I come in here. I feel it whenever I talk to one of you. You guys are a beautiful community. Continue to covet the things of Christ in your heart, and you'll get through anything that you might have this year coming up against you, and you'll thrive. 
because Jesus is with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for this place. We thank you that regardless of anything that goes wrong and anything that's not quite going the way we think it should, that you show up. Lord, that you show up in our mistakes. You show up in our imperfect nature because you were one of us. You are one of us, Lord. You put on flesh. You came here. You experienced death. You rose again, all so that we may be closer to God in you. Lord, we thank you for all the things that you've given us. The prayer, the glory is all to you. All the mistakes are ours. All the glory is yours, Lord. We ask you to bless this place and bless these people now as they go out. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.